For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is Ephesians chapter 6. When Jesus taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer, he didn't teach them to say, deliver us from evil, as we say it all today. Rather, he taught them to say, deliver us from the evil one. Jesus didn't teach us to pray for deliverance from some sort of vague or nebulous or general kind of evil. For Jesus, evil has a face. The entire Lord's Prayer is a prayer against one specific person, the devil himself. Now, I don't think anyone has ever taken any of these words to heart as much as our dear brother Martin Luther. Luther knew that his main enemy during the Reformation was not Zwingli or the Sacramentarians or the iconoclasts or the monks, or the emperors, or even the pope himself. Luther knew that his battle wasn't against flesh and blood. He knew that his battle was against his chief enemy, Satan himself, all of his works and all of his ways. So for Luther, behind all of the pope's lies and threats, behind all the indulgences and murder, was the devil himself. Behind Zwingli saying that Jesus is not present in his body and his blood in the Lord's Supper was the devil. Behind the fanatics who thought that God was speaking directly to them apart from the scriptures to their hearts was the devil. The Reformation was not about some stubborn and rebellious German monk or a man who had to prove himself and outwit the other theologians of the day. The Reformation was about a man who silenced the devil with the word of God alone. So Luther read the Bible. He learned the truth. He learned that he and all sinners are saved by grace through faith alone and not by works. As you heard in the epistle lesson, what the Bible clearly teaches, he learned that Christ completely redeemed the entire world through his bitter suffering and death. And there's not one sin that his death doesn't atone for. He learned that God is not angry with sinners anymore. On account of Christ. And because of this, because Luther knew this, the devil was angry with Luther. The devil knew that Luther knew the truth, and so he attacked him relentlessly. And Luther knew that. In fact, uh, he knew it to such a degree that anything bad that happened, Luther attributed to the devil himself. Anything that didn't go well was the devil's fault. For Luther, these demonic attacks were just another way to get him to stop preaching the gospel, a way to distract the people to stop listening to the gospel and caring for it. Okay, so to, uh, to prove this point, uh, I'm going to tell you a few stories or accounts from the life of Luther during a two-week window of his life, just a two-week span. It's a very specific time, and I'm going to be using some uh, uh, names that I, you've probably never heard before, but they're all the names of German places. You can look them up uh, later some other time. But in the spring of 1521, Luther was on his way to the Diet of Worms. 
or worms, is, uh, as we say it. Uh, and so there he has to go stand before Emperor Charles V and make a confession of faith. So by this time, 1521, Luther had already nailed the 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg. That was in 1517. He was already excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church at that time. He already burned the papal bull at Wittenberg at the time. Now, in 1521... Luther was on his way to stand before the most powerful man in the world, Emperor Charles V. And he gave orders to Luther in this way. He said, uh, you're going to come and stand before me and you're going to say one word. Revoco, which is Latin for I recant. In other words, Luther was summoned to stand before Charles V, who had the ability and the power to end his life. And he's supposed to stand there and renounce the gospel and say, I don't believe it. I am wrong that Christ forgives our sins for free entirely. Okay, so it took Luther uh, about two weeks to travel from uh, from Wittenberg to Worms. Right. And nearly every day during this trip, he faced demonic opposition. Uh, When Luther got to Weimar. He got word that the emperor already ordered for all of his books, all of Luther's books, to be burned. So he already had uh, the, the verdict that Luther was guilty. He was burning their books. And so when Luther's friends heard this, they told Luther, look, man, you got to go back to Wittenberg. They said, go home. You're wasting your time because you can't convince them. They're already convinced they're going to put you to death. So when, they get, when you get there, they're going to kill you. So it's a waste of time. And do you know what Luther said? He goes, ah, this is the devil's way of trying to scare me. To scare me away from going. And then he kept going. And then while he was on the road, he taught a Bible study on the book of Joshua, of all books. And that's significant. And he stopped at a monastery in Erfurt. And he preached a sermon there. And the sanctuary was so full of people that the church started to creak and to crack and tear apart at the seams while they were there because it was just packed. Everybody wanted to hear this. And so as they were hearing the church building starting to fall apart, the people started to take apart the windows so that they could jump out in hopes that they would save themselves because they thought the building was going to collapse on them. And while the building was trembling and making all of these noises, Luther raised his voice in the middle of the sermon and said this. He goes, I already know your tricks, devil. And then he told the congregation, he goes, calm down. Everyone is fine. This is just another one of the devil's pranks. Luther pressed on to worms even more, and he preached around 10 times during that trip of two weeks. Uh, Another one of the stops was in Gotha, Germany. But while he was preaching there, uh, stones from the top of the bell tower came loose, and they came crashing down in the middle of the church. Uh, They bursted on the floor. Nobody was hurt. And do you know what Luther said? He said, look, those stones have been there for what? Two centuries and they haven't moved an inch? 
Why would they come loose and come crashing down at just the very moment I am preaching the gospel, the forgiveness of sins? Luther was convinced that that was the work of the devil. And I believe it 100%. He's right. As Luther kept getting closer to worms, he stopped again, but this time in Frankfurt. And here Luther got a letter from his friend named Spalatin. And Spalatin wrote in his letter, he urged him to go around, uh, to turn around and to go back home. And he told Luther, look, Luther, the only thing waiting for you at Worms right now is a guilty verdict and the death penalty. So turn around. As he's getting closer and closer, he gets this uh, exhortation. And how does Luther respond? He wrote back saying, I'm coming, my Spalatin. I'm on my way. And I won't turn around. Even though the devil has tried to hinder me with more than one disease. Uh, a side note, during this entire time, Luther was very sick as he's on his way to Worms. And then he wrote this. He says, so I'm not going to turn around even though the devil is trying to hinder me with more than one disease. And then Luther writes, but Christ lives. And we shall enter worms together in spite of all the gates of hell and the powers in the air. So, get my room ready. And later on, Spallison wrote that Luther was determined to go to worms to confess the gospel, even if there were as many devils in the city as there were tiles on the roof. Now, you know what happens next. Luther didn't turn around. Uh, he went to that Diet of Worms, that council. He stood before Emperor Charles V, who had the authority to demand his execution on the spot. And they asked him, Luther, are these writings yours? And do you take them back? Do you retract them? And Luther, knowing that his answer would condemn him, asked for another night to think through it. And everyone was certain that Luther is going to come to his senses and realize, look, this whole thing is not worth dying over. That he would just recant, give up these words, and then go on living his life as however he wanted. But while everyone else was sleeping, Luther stayed up all night praying. And at 4 p.m. the next day, they convened, and he went in, and they asked him the same questions. They said, Luther, are these your books, and do you take them back? And Luther says, yes, those are books. Uh, by the way, I've written more, <laughs> but those there, yes, they're my books. And then they said, okay, well, do you take them back? Do you recant them? And Luther said, and he said this as he spoke to the depths of hell, when he said, unless I can be instructed and convinced with evidence from the Holy Scriptures, with open, clear, and distinct grounds and reasoning, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. And that I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. Amen. And as you know, that didn't go over so well. <laughs> he became an outlaw, a wanted man. They wanted his head on a plate. But Luther never took those words back, and he never renounced the gospel. 
and he did not turn around from that day. And he kept on preaching and teaching to his final day. The same exact thing that we're saved by grace through faith alone through the wounds of Christ. Okay, now I can go on and on about this, but I need to cut to the chase. The devil was very angry with Luther because he knew the truth. And Zion, the devil is very angry with you. He's angry with you because you also know the truth. The devil is out to get you. And he is using every one of his works, all of his ways to rip the gospel away from your heart and soul. The devil wants to take the gospel away from your heart. He wants to snatch it from your mind, from your soul, from your body, and he will do anything to make it happen. Look, do you see how hostile the world is to the Christian church? Do you think that's by chance? Do you see how people shame you and shut you up because you bear the name of Christ? Do you see how churches are giving up the gospel, caving into whatever agenda of the day, giving into the theories of man and becoming entirely indifferent towards sin? You see this. Do you see how Christians are being beheaded around the world right now as we speak for believing in Christ? Who do you think is behind that? And if you think that's all on the outside... Just look at what is happening to our own church. How many years have those trees stood there through hurricanes and storms? And now that you're hearing the gospel, purely preached like never before, they all start to fall down. How many years have those air conditioners been working perfectly over the years? And what? They fail now? <laughs> How many years has it rained and poured upon this building? And what? Now that the gospel is being preached purely, the water is flooding into the church. Why is it that lights are going out, that snakes are coming in, that rooms are flooding? We apply for a loan. The only time the government is going to help the church during this time. And we didn't get it. How many people are panicked and losing their minds as we watch our economy crash before our very eyes? One, one in five churches will fold and go bankrupt in the next 18 months. And the devil has us in his crosshairs. And if you think that that's all just an attack on the building, on a place, on just a, a specific address, look at how he attacks your hearts. How many times have you all come to church and sat next to each other happily, joyfully, enjoyed coming to church? And now in the time when we need to be united the most, do you feel divided the most? How many times have you greeted one another, drank coffee together after church, and now you feel only tension and discord and strife? Some of you here have just joined the Lutheran Church for the first time in your life. 
Some of you are hearing the gospel for the very first time. Some of you are just getting back into church after being years away from it. And all of a sudden, these things start to happen. And all of a sudden, our church tears apart at the seams. Good grief. You see what's happening. Even more, how many of you feel the devil attacking you even now? How many of you are distracted and can't pay attention to the word of God, to the gospel, to the sermon anymore because you're worried and anxious about everything else going on around? Think about how much time has been spent this week and month speaking to or listening to any gossip, putting the worst construction on things. Even more, what does it say about your spirit and your heart if you choose to stay for a two-hour discussion about our dwindling finances, but you simply won't be bothered to stay after church to study the Bible, the Word of God, what He says? Do we dedicate ourselves more to temporal affairs than to the eternal affairs of Christ and our eternal life? What does it say about priorities or do you think, who do you think is causing this? Who do you think is orchestrating this? Come on. Who do you think is behind it all? If these words alarm you, then good. Repent. It's because you know now that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The devil is out to get you, to get out to get all of us. If the devil cannot cave the roof in over our heads this second, then he will try to get us to turn on each other, to be entirely distracted or disinterested in the word, to, be, to not care about it, to put other priorities before it. By the way, if you are gossiping or slandering or putting the worst construction on things, the devil isn't after you. He's not attacking you. He's using you. Repent. Don't let it happen. Don't let the devil in. Don't give him an opportunity. Amend your ways and speak well of one another. Unite together in the word of God. Trust in him. Now, as I'm getting ready to close, I know, <laughs> I know this isn't the cheeriest sermon. <laughs> and I haven't really given you much to relax about. Uh, and I, I've mostly preached about the devil, which isn't so nice to think about. But nevertheless, the main consolation, the chief comfort that I can give you now is this. That if the devil is attacking us so hard right now, then it's because he's trying to take something away. If the devil is after us, breathing down our necks, it's because he knows that we know the truth. He knows we have the gospel. He knows that we have Jesus and that Jesus has us. And the only thing that this is the only thing that will make us victorious over sin, death, and the devil. He knows we have it. So when these troubles come, we should rejoice. We should rejoice that the devil is after us because he only attacks those who are on the side of the Lord. So we won't turn around because if God is with us, who can be against us? We won't give up. 
We won't abandon the gospel. We won't turn against each other. We won't gossip or slander. We won't be worried or anxious about a thing. If the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, we won't be afraid. And if we lose everything here tonight, the gospel will still be here tomorrow. And the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. And every single day we come together, no matter what may come, Jesus will be right there with us, no matter where we are, forgiving our sins, strengthening our faith, and giving us peace with God forever. And when the day comes that God moves this precious gospel somewhere else, then that's where we'll go. We will meet over wherever. If we can't hear it here, then we will hear it over there. So don't worry. We already know. We already know the devil's tricks and pranks. So calm down. The devil wants us to turn around, to turn to our own ways, to turn against each other, to hinder us with every trouble and sorrow and sin. But Christ lives. Amen. O little flock, fear not the foe. Who madly seeks your overthrow? Dread not his rage and power. And though your courage sometimes faints, his seeming triumph over God's saints lasts but a little hour. As true as God's own word is true, not earth nor hell satanic crew against us shall prevail. Their might, a joke, a mere facade. God is with us and we with God. Our victory cannot fail. Amen, Lord Jesus, grant our prayer. Great captain, now thine arm make bare. Fight for us once again. So shall thy saints and martyrs raise a mighty chorus to thy praise forevermore. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.